0: I think the truth has been that whenever I've switched to a new company, that's t- when I tend to see the largest increase. It's been very, very rare that I've actually received a raise staying at the same company with that same role. So I have started out probably around $55,000, um, but been paid up to about 90000 a year for this role. No degree,
1: no problem. Any problem we can solve keeps us we growing in the knowing. the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So Alexis, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself?
0: No, not at all. Um, My name is Alexis. I'm from New York. Right now, I'm operating in uh, people operations and kind of like events and office management space, which I've been doing probably for almost a decade now.
1: Wow, that's awesome. So what's the salary range for like the positions that you've interviewed for?
0: Yeah, definitely there can be a Quite a large range. I know, um, unfortunately, I think the truth has been that whenever I've switched to a new company, that's t- when I tend to see the largest increase. It's been very, very rare that I've actually received a raise staying at the same company with that same role. I've started out probably around 55000 but been paid up to about 90000 a year for this role. Okay.
1: No, that's good. Those are, those are some very respectable oh, yeah. salaries. So yeah. what hard and soft skills do t- people typically need to have to succeed in the roles that you've had?
0: I mean, that's an interesting question because I think the role is such a mishmash of a bunch of different skills. So, I mean, there's definitely, I think, a people, the people operations piece requires a lot of patience, a lot of empathy, you know, strong communication skills. I would think a high emotional intelligence as well as like a awareness of cultural difference and background and how to navigate that in the workplace. But honestly, other than that, I don't have any like technical, um, like certifications or anything like that. I mean, I'm a millennial. So I remember I started to learn how to type on a PC when definitely by at least like the fourth grade. And yeah. I was born in 1992. So like to that, those skills and just being a New Yorker, to be honest, I feel like played a big role in how I navigated. Um, but prior to stepping into this, I studied criminal justice and I was a paralegal. I was on Wall Street. So it was a very, very different environment. And so that's why I'm like, honestly... It was just like being really curious, I would say, and just like really scrappy. It's a very physical job. A lot of times it could be, you know, very taxing, but yeah. So just highly, highly self-motivated as well, I would say.
1: Were there any courses or resources that really helped you level up?
0: LinkedIn. I, so especially because I did not have a degree and like, I'm sure you can understand that like now people are really open-minded or relatively open-minded about that idea, but that was not the case for me at the time. So When I was working at one of these firms, I had just gotten, I was making $25,000 as a paralegal. and That's robbery. I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. And so I was just happy that I, I just felt lucky. Before that, I was a Hooters waitress. So I felt, I was like, look, it's, I've got health insurance. I've got, you know, something steady I can count on. Um, So I found out about LinkedIn and then through there saw a bunch of articles around culture and startups and i was like i don't know what any of this stuff is i'm from staten island like that's yeah. it's definitely more conservative and like a suburb not really into that tech stuff at the time so just through linkedin taking courses around um just like becoming proficient in just like regular tools like ms suite and stuff like that but also a specific just obsession with diversity equity and inclusion once i got wind of it and employee experience and um Literally courses called things like cultivating cultural intelligence or things like that. The rest of it was kind of on-the-job training. Um, Yeah. That was pretty much it.
1: Hey, are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer your dream job sign up at the link in the notes below nice nice now we got to go back you said hooters yeah how is that environment and like how much does a hooters waitress make
0: that environment is it was definitely one of the more challenging jobs i've had and i also always bring it up in regards to a very thorough onboarding process yeah i don't think any company i've worked at since then has met that that level of onboarding it's extremely intense it's a lot of training There's a magazine, there's a video, there's um, a bunch of tests you have to take. So not only are you supposed to be very, very friendly, very, very attentive, you are also transferring bus bins to the back um, and cleaning up tables, getting under the like, you know, fixing wobbly table. Yeah. There's like a mouse sighting. And so you're like going with a, a dustpan in the back, but you can never wear your hair up at a ponytail, for example. And you always mm. have to have lipstick on. And so it was kind of like an impossible standard, but also very much part of being a woman as a metaphor in a nutshell. Yeah. And I mean, that's probably if I think about it more so than working at a law firm, which probably influenced my diversity interest. But I think in terms of like, Creating a truly inclusive environment, a workspace that's efficient, but also is like dripping with empathy, I think comes from working in hospitality because yeah. extremely to anybody that's working in hospitality will will tell you how extremely challenging but rewarding it can be because you learn yeah. amazing skills. So. Do you mind sharing like oh, how yeah. much a so, Hooters waitress was make? What I made, um, I just remember being broke all the time, to be honest. I remember that at the time I was living with my stepdad and mom in Westchester. So I spent a lot of money just commuting down to Hooters. And then you pay for your own everything, like the shirt, the sneakers you have to wear. So once again, robbery. So I wasn't pulling much more than like maybe a couple hundred bucks a night, if that. But I didn't really see any of that money because, like, I don't know if you take the Metro North, it's like one hundred and seventy nine dollars a month or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. But it was no regrets. It was a great experience. I keep, um, I keep, I keep this on my refrigerator so that okay. I never forget <laughs> like what the deal, what the deal is and where I'm at and where I'm capable of going from there. So
1: no, it's really cool how you transfer from that environment now what were some other tough scenarios that you had to deal with working in an environment like that?
0: It's not very different than like the challenges I face now. Like there's not, yeah. a, there weren't a lot of people that looked like me. And so I'm held to a certain standard of performance, but there are certain systems in place in regards to like, you know, getting shifts more than other girls was something that was really difficult. Also, I'm not like a white European girl. So like, yeah. so that like, if I'm standing next to maybe a blonde Norwegian girl, no offense to any blonde. norwegian yeah, yeah. there, like, it's a little bit sometimes harder to stand out depending on who I'm looking at or where they're from. A lot of the Hooters clientele were tourists coming from Europe. Um, and they also had a misconception that it was kind of like a brothel. And so, you know, but again, like a lot of these things are absolutely things I've experienced, like at start, like men hitting on you when they shouldn't, um, all of my managers were men, but they set the standard for like how I was supposed to perform. Not being paid fair wages, not very yeah, and, yeah. So all the stuff that people typically. Do. So I mean, that's sad that it's like, damn, like the startup world is just like
1: Hooters and.
0: Which one is sad? Is it sad that startups are like Hooters, or that Hooters are like startups? I
1: mean, I both know. ways. It's sad. Yeah. I, I don't know. Either way, it's, it's just like not...
0: honestly, not this is not this is not to like condemn Hooters because like I went there for the chicken. Like I knew I was what I was getting into. Like I I was there for the discounted chicken, and that's what where my eyes were at. So. It was never supposed to be like a long-term plan. It, it served a purpose and it was a good, good Look,
1: job. I can't blame you. I worked at Popeye's and I, I took extra chicken during my lunch this break. So I, no yeah, chicken
0: yeah. left behind. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. chicken left
1: behind. So in the jobs that you've had, were you ever asked about not having a degree? Yeah,
0: but not very often. There's only honestly one time that I can ever think of, probably because of that saying, like, you forget what people say, but you don't forget how it makes you feel. Yeah. I remember it was ironically after I had already accepted an offer at a firm and during my first week maybe like 2 days in or something the like this office admin essentially took me out to lunch and during lunch she started questioning me about like so you know did you go to school or like did you try or why didn't you did if you did why didn't you finish do you ever think about going back etc cetera, etc cetera. um and it was super awkward at this time I was yeah. probably like 22, 21, yeah. maybe. Um, And so, yeah, I don't really remember how I answered. I think at that time in my life, I was still very ashamed. And so what I know one of my go-to answers was like, oh, yeah, and I plan to go back, which is bullshit. Like, I never had yeah, yeah. to go back in that moment. Um, but I felt like it was better than saying, I failed at this thing you think I should have. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, interesting that it happened after I had gotten the job.
1: Yeah. No, so that's solid. interesting. Some people… They need to mind their own business. You know? Like, you. yeah, And it's, you know what? You can ask, but it's how you ask. You exactly. know, it's, exactly. it's like, you could say, oh, did you finish? Okay, cool. You know, then it's like, why didn't you finish? What was the reasoning? Or if you were
0: ever to go, if you were ever to go back, do you think you would study what you did before? Or, you know, there's so many ways to be curious without being yeah, yeah, yeah. critical. So
1: Yeah, be curious, but not like, Like you're in interrogation, like, you commit a crime, like, what are you asking for? So if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone else without a college degree, what would it look like? What would they do? What wouldn't they do?
0: I think it's a lot of, um, like, stepping outside your comfort zone. I mean, because from the very beginning, um, transitioning from um, a paralegal to wanting to then work at a startup, it was a lot of people saying no. And honestly, I was surprised. I was like, I'm a smart girl. Like, why can't I be a receptionist at your office? Like, I'm qualified for more than that. So I think I'm a big advocate of like shooting your shot regardless of, regardless. So I think being willing to do that, I definitely have built up a high tolerance for rejection. I think people see a lot of like LinkedIn posts and things being like, I just got this, I just got that. So I try to be really honest that, There was a lot of um, a lot of rejection and having to be resilient about that. So I think just in general, that would benefit anybody's career and networking. Like I was uh, watching some of your videos, obviously, but also there was a post that you had um, and I was looking at some of the comments and a lot of people have this sentiment of realizing that the pandemic changed the game in a big way. Yeah. Um, especially for people like yourself. And for me, I did the same thing. I went into my LinkedIn. I'm like, Who's, who am I connected with that I've never spoken to that? Like, I don't even remember how we got connected. Like, let's just put time on the calendar and have like a half hour, hour conversation. So I think that has also been a big part of it because most of my roles have come from referrals or folks that I've already worked with at their company that have called me up later and been like, we have this project or do you want to come and see what this is about here? We're building this. And that's been like the bulk of it. So yeah, I would say like nurturing your network in an authentic way, being willing to to take risk and, and to fail and just being really resourceful. I am in the camp of if you're getting the answer, no, you're asking the wrong person. So maybe that goes into like just being persistent and crafty Uh, to your point. It's not always what you say, it's how you say it. Yeah. And I, and I also would say that I learned to use what I thought were weaknesses as strengths, especially my femininity. I was definitely... I presented physically very, very differently at the beginning of my career. And as I got comfortable, I realized that I started to grow up my nails and I started to have my hair out and I started wearing more pink because these were things that at a firm were all like a law firm that's not the environment for that. You look yeah. like, you know, Elwood's from Legally Bond essentially and it's not a good look. Um, yeah, yeah. But now those are the things that are like my fingerprint. Those are the things that like people recognize me for my click clacking heels in the office and like stuff like that. So yeah, I think it, it pays to be patient in your authenticity.
1: Yeah. So what's your backstory? Like, how was high school like for you? And would you want to be in high school?
0: Um, I, high school was, I mean, you know, it's high school, so it's not perfect. But I always say that like, compared to what I see in the movies or whatever, it could have been worse. However, like it was it was challenging because like I said, I grew up on Staten Island um, and it's mostly like a white community pretty much religious uh, and very small. And so it was really hard, but also just weird. Like I graduated high school in 2010. So when I was going through high school, Obama was in the white house. And so it was cool to have like a one black friend. Like it was a black girl. Um, But I'm also- I
1: graduated in 09. So it's like-
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you remember the vibe of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So it it was cool. And my mom is Puerto Rican. And so that like, mysterious ethnicity of, of myself kind of like again was a tool for that helped me kind of navigate luckily at the time but I was ready to get out of Staten Island I haven't lived there since I graduated high school at the time I was really into and still I'm just really into music so I thought I was going to go to school to study like like uh managing artists um yeah. and maybe even learning to produce music it's something that I still think of as like another chapter of my life career possibly yeah. And I was really into art as well.
1: No, that's awesome. So you mentioned that you did go to college and I'm asking it in a nice, curious way so that other people can listen to figure out like, hey, you know, who is it right for? What were the things looking back? Like, hey, you know what? I should have realized that this wasn't for me. So how was that experience like for you?
0: Yeah, I actually gave it a try twice. So first I went to St. John's University and then I transferred out and I went to St. Thomas Aquinas College, which is in Rockland County. Yeah. Grew up in New York. Uh, the first time I was really excited to go to college because it seemed like independence, which I think is like what a lot of kids think, but I wasn't really sold on it. I have a lot of vivid memories of people telling me flat out, like you are going to be a failure if you don't, if you don't get a degree. So I went in for, I think, communications at St. John's. Um, but I hated, I don't know. I felt very stifled and then I fell into a deep depression, to be honest. And I found it really hard to navigate school. So I dropped out. And then I enrolled in another school like a sem- right after, like a semester after.
1: Yeah.
0: And I don't know. I didn't really have an interest in being in the environment. I didn't resonate with the students there. To be honest, I also had a really hard time feeling like the students wanted to be there. And I think that's a big part of what's exciting is when you connect with someone who's excited about learning. Yeah. And it was kind of just like high school. Like, it wasn't a matter of, like, not, you know, feeling left out or anything like that. It just... I just didn't really feel like it was for me while I was there. I think in an effort to kind of find something that was interesting, that's when I discovered criminal justice as a major and switched over into that. And I really, really loved that. Yeah. I think once I discovered that I really loved the idea of justice, I was like, okay, I want to apply this to things. So eventually, you know, I think that's an interesting uh, progression from studying criminal justice to working at a law firm to now being very much in the DEI space. It's a trend that I think followed all the way, but yeah. I just felt like the school environment wasn't, I couldn't apply it quickly enough.
1: Yeah. You felt it was like way too theoretical, way yeah, too it was abstract.
0: Expensive. It was so expensive every time, all the time, all I could think was this is so expensive. <laughs> I can't believe how expensive this is. So yeah, I just felt like it, I just couldn't, there was no guarantee that it was going to amount to anything. And I wasn't, I'm not stupid. I was aware, like, even if I have this degree, it doesn't mean there's so many other factors. And I don't come from a family of degrees, to be honest. I come from, my brother's in the military. My mom doesn't have a degree either. And she has a very good job. And so I think I had confidence um, that, yeah, I could take what I learned and and apply it to the real world and navigate it from there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So now looking back, how would you get to where you are much quicker now that you understand yourself a lot more? So there's someone, there's a mini Alexis listening to the podcast right now. What would you tell her?
0: That's kind of a different question than than what you first said. Yeah. Um, I would say for like, if I was talking to a younger version of myself, I don't know. I'd probably just like try to convince myself to stay authentic and like, um, yeah. don't worry about fitting in, it's going to pay off later um, kind of thing. But no one believes advice coming from older people. So I probably yeah, yeah. listen to me.
1: I don't yeah, no, I got it. So looking back at your career, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment?
0: I think it's finding my way to creating inclusive spaces. I think that whether it's um, like pushing back and creating more room for policy that supports like working uh, parents so they can return back to work or taking a look at like, our interview uh, practices and asking, are they really equitable or even just like celebrating joy? Like we did a Lunar New Year celebration the other week, which is something that like I'd never done before. And I felt excited that folks that know I don't identify as part of that community wanted to include me. And, you know, so I think like it's very kumbaya, but like, I think that makes it worth it for sure.
1: You know, oh, that, that's amazing because it's like we need the practices to be more equitable mm-hmm. so that people who normally have a harder time, not because of lack of skill, but because of the biases and the systems that they have to overcome, actually have a fair shot. Now, the other thing is you've obviously had like a career, you know, ups and downs. What would you say is the hardest thing that you went through?
0: you know, being disappointed or betrayed by coworkers, especially managers I've had in the past. I think that as someone that is always looking for a sense of mentorship, I'm really drawn to that. And I think that um, some folks are power hungry. And I think that when they're put in managerial positions, it means something else to them. Yeah. So it's really challenging, especially when you're, you know, in the early stages of your career to see a figure and have them let you down or take advantage of you in one way or another, On the other hand, despite the fact that that has happened, continuing to have like enthusiasm and energy and excitement towards like building relationships anyway and, you know, correcting those things anyway and like putting that energy towards making things better and shaking it off however I can.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just advice for the audience. You have to be careful because not everyone at work is your friend. Mm -hmm. So you may occupy the same space with them. You may share a lot of things with them, but not everyone is your friend. And you have to be mindful because a lot of times when people get in trouble, it's their coworkers telling on them, right? right? They're jealous. They're thinking about, oh, Alexis is really good. Let me go tell on her. Especially Let me- in
0: this environment where, you know, job security feels scarce. Like people yeah. kind of crabs in a barrel mentality. I think especially since the pandemic, that's where the bulk of these experience, the negative experiences started for me. I think there's a desperation and people are like, well, it's you or me. You know what I mean? So I better yeah. you out. <laughs> so... It's it's um it's disappointing. But at the same time, that's just an individual. That's yeah. that's a product of a system in place. You know, you don't yeah, yeah. blame a person for people should be held accountable, but I also believe that desperation is bred from decisions that are made by people that have nothing to do with you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, of course. Because if you have a system that incentivizes that behavior and that rewards that behavior, people will do that, right? Exactly. Like I had a I have one of my friends. There was a coworker who was doing something they were not supposed to do. And his manager asked him, Do you know of this? He knew, but he said, Oh no, sorry, I don't know of anything. And it wasn't too bad. It was just he was browsing things he shouldn't have been browsing. Gotcha. And then so he said, Hey, I don't know. Uh-huh. And then he he mentioned that he never got on management track after that. But he was like, Look, I'm not gonna go tell on my coworker. If you guys discovered he did something, you guys can take action. But He loves his kids and I don't want to play a part in that decision to get him fired. Like that's…
0: And also, like, that's so awkward for that person who's telling. Because, like, I wouldn't want to work at a company that's forcing me to, like, rat other employees. Because that's that's a larger… Again, it's a larger issue. There are other, you know, players at the top.
1: Yeah, so it's just a very tough situation to be in. But he was like, he's… Yes, he lost out on that. But he's like, he's proud that, you know, he… He did what he thought was we right. And I think it's really important to stick true to your beliefs and all that. But uh, yeah, just be mindful. Of protect yeah. yourself. Make sure you document things and all that. Uh, now let's cut. Let's talk more about the DEI space. Like, yeah. how do you learn more about the DEI space? Like, wh- how do you go about it? I mean, there. how would someone get more involved in that space?
0: I think the best thing about the space is that it's because it's all about inclusivity and diversity… I find that literally anybody can step into it because everyone has like a value or something like that. I think the biggest thing is getting really comfortable with, um, starting with like, oh, I don't know anything. I don't know shit. Like anything I thought I thought I understood is not true. So there's a lot of like free information and courses online, but also I've done because of my close proximity to people operations, it's a lot of time just, part of the job, whether it's through, like I said, supporting actual hiring processes or the events that you create, even the workplace layout, things like that. But I also had done some work with different consultants and things like that, especially during the pandemic when people were really, really ramped up about George Floyd and everybody was really interested there's a lot of opportunity to assist companies and do that kind of like coaching with leadership and focus group work. And also like, and every time you do that, you learn a lot from those companies. So it's also, I'm constantly having to re-educate myself because trends are changing so quickly. And a lot of times if I don't actively seek out someone different, I have no idea and I'm using the wrong language or something is outdated, et cetera, et cetera. So.
1: Okay, that's awesome. Now, what's something... That like you were surprised in DEI because as you get deeper, you're like, wow, I never thought like I have a friend who's hard of hearing. So Mm -hmm. now like when I do things, I think of, oh, I have to use soft. When I meet with him, it's like he needs to have it transcribed. When I send him videos, I think about that inclusion. And even when I create videos, I'm like, hey, I need to have him enjoy it in the same capacity as everyone else. So here's how I can do that. So what are some things that really surprised you and that people should really think about?
0: I think that's a really good example, the one that that you just named. Um, I've been really fortunate to work at some really cool startups with really awesome products. And so just like user interface is something that I was not thinking about ever at all, just because I'm someone who... I wear glasses, but that's about the extent of that. And so, um, yeah, to your point, I think it... Like it really expanded my definition. I think when I thought of DEI, it was more around maybe religion, socioeconomic status, race, ethnicity, and things like that. Yeah, I think this, like I said before, just staying so abreast of things because I'm constantly learning that I'm hyper ignorant, even though I think I am doing my best to learn about things. Um, but I also think that's where LinkedIn comes into play. Because a lot of times in the workplace, like... People don't, feel, they don't come up to you and say, Hey, just so you know, I identify as someone who lives uh, with a disability or I blah, 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 because it's not a safe space. They don't have that psychological safety. So if you have an authentic connection with people that you work with or that you're connected with on LinkedIn, you get to see what's really going on. They're putting real posts about like, I couldn't climb the stairs to my own doctor's office. What's the irony in that? I can't even go get the care because they haven't figured out I need a ramp. You know what I mean? So I think, um, Just like, yeah, paying attention. Um, Also, I think uh, I would say in sharing more about my own vulnerabilities, it really, really makes it. I think it's the quickest way way to make a safe space for other people to start opening up about theirs, which is not always easy. But yeah, I would say that's that's super um, impactful.
1: No, that's important because I remember. So I have something called delayed sleep phase disorder. So I have a shifted circadian rhythm. So when I worked, I was late to work every day. My performance Mm. reviews were like, hey. Come late every day, but it was like, right. hey, it's just, it's like a struggle. Like it's like telling someone, hey, why don't you do this two a.m. meeting? That I'm good with, but you know, for other people, it's like that's not. It's like telling someone, hey, just fall asleep at four p.m. Most people cannot, right? So for me, it's like I can't fall asleep before a certain time. Right. And I remember I I mentioned that to someone, and you know, in a workplace, and they're like, well, I I wake up early. You're just lazy, and a lot of people have this conception, just like you know, you wouldn't tell someone in a wheelchair like they're lazy. Because they can't get upstairs. Why don't you just go upstairs? And, you know, it's very important. So, you know, you do great work and it's really important for people like you because I know I would have done way better at work had I been able to talk to HR and bring these things up as opposed to saying, hey, your work hours are nine to five and that's when you have to work and there's no way around that.
0: No wiggle room. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm sorry. That's it's really it's real. And it's it's so ironic to me again, because. What department are you talking about? The one that's supposed to be human centered, human focused. Yeah, yeah. My department is people operations, but a lot of times, like, there's money at the center of everything, not people. Yeah.
1: But you know, the funny thing is, a lot of times people think about short term money because, okay, we have to spend this much for a ramp or we have to do X much right. for this accommodation. But then long term, you know, they show that studies of companies that have diversity tend to do a lot better. They mm-hmm. think of more scenarios, they could deal with more clients. Like, I just saw this video on TikTok where this, lady uh, she was on a call and sh- she liked the product mm-hmm. but they didn't realize that the chat when he was sharing the screen was visible mm-hmm. and then there she was a blonde woman so I think they were talking about her looks yeah, yeah. and then she was like hey can I get a salesperson because I see and she handled it so well she was like there's I see the locker room talk that's not available and the, you know the guy was just like hey sorry he was kind of like i sorry you, you saw that kind mm-hmm. of thing but it was like you should not have done that in the first place you know those types of things it, it's really sad to see. Yep. But it's it's good. I'm glad that people are actually advocating for themselves and you know, we need more progress in this space because the more progress, the more people get in, the more people get in, the more diversity you have. And now you can actually have equitable solutions because everyone's at the table. At the table.
0: Exactly. I, I totally feel you. And I think part of it is on my part an acceptance that um this is always gonna be difficult. There's always gonna be people that are gonna make me prove that this is important work, that they should invest in it monetarily or with their time. But you know, similar to how you have a calling for no degree because it uniquely meets with you that to me, it's like not optional because I can't, I can't work at a space where DEI is not a priority. I won't be able to progress. I won't be paid fairly. I'll be harassed. It's not an option. So if I'm going to, no matter if I'm in the room, like we're going to be uh, assessing how diverse, equitable uh, and inclusive it is. So I'm glad that companies seem to have an interest, but I really hope it stays because it's also extremely, you know, heartbreaking and infuriating to have seen so many posts and so many social things, literally two, three years ago from all these companies making promises around social action and justice. Um, and now it's the same reactions, the same shrugs, the same, you know, gaslighting and kind of the runaround and not having the direct conversations. And so It's really, really challenging. Um, But I think that's also why we have to keep talking about it.
1: Yeah, no. The more we talk about it, the more people listen, the more these conversations, the more these conversations become normal. Yeah. They become normalized. And then people become more comfortable sharing things. Now, looking back, what were some of the biggest mistakes you've made?
0: I don't have any mistakes. I'm perfect. Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm not totally. No, no, no! I'm totally kidding. It's like, which one do I pick? Uh, mistakes. I mean, the first, like the first one that came to mind when I heard the question, it wasn't so much a mistake as if as it's as so much it's like I think patience is something that I think was really really hard to practice at the beginning stages of my twenties. Um, but I would say playing small a lot as well. Like I felt like I was definitely someone who wasn't really trying to rock the boat that much. Um, Definitely was just trying to like collect a paycheck and a bit of a people pleaser. I think it prolonged things and maybe that's where the impatience started. Um, So I think not being as direct and as about, and as confident, especially around salary and for what I was worthy of. Yeah. And I think there's definitely, I don't know if it's a mistake. It's I, I, especially if you know, folks, I worked at nonprofits for a bit as well. Like It's really, really hard sometimes to set a boundary when you do work that involves your heart a lot. So I don't know if it's a mistake as much as if I could go back, I would just like be like, take better care. Like try and take that hat off when you get home, like try to be really, really mindful about the rest that you need because this work is very, you know, heartfelt and you're not having anything left for yourself. Um, and you don't want to turn cold because you're giving everything to this cause, so you need to fill your cup. And I feel like um, there were definitely times where I was not taking care of my mind or my body. And, you know, it translated into my job and my work and missed opportunities ultimately.
1: Yeah, you mentioned you were a people pleaser. So I still struggle with that, right? It's something that it, I feel like it's it's hard to go away. But how do you manage something like that? How do you make sure you respect your own boundaries?
0: Mm, yeah, I was going to say boundaries. I love boundaries. Uh, they're not… They're not easy to set, especially with the people closest to you, I I realize. But I think it's just, I'm very, um, very dedicated to those boundaries. Um, I also do live alone. And I think like making a conscious effort to spend time by myself, I think it reinforces how important my boundaries are because they're, I can feel them so intensely when I get to my own space. And so I just set really firm ones. I try to be really direct when I feel like they're being crossed. And I also just encourage people to set their own because I think it helps them learn that boundaries are to keep you close, not to not to push you out. If I wanted you out, you'd be blocked. We're done. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah, telling yeah. you how to be involved because I want you to, to be in the circle, to be part of the success, right? So I think just through practice. To be honest, I think if you talk to anybody who talks about being a people pleaser, I think they'll always bring up their family because I think it starts when you're really young. Yeah. Um, so I think practicing in my personal life and my professional life and just using those tools back and forth, it's a muscle to, yeah. you know. No, I, I,
1: thank you. And it's it's something important to work on. Have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree?
0: Yes. Yes. I think I've probably, I'm, maybe this is a time in my life where I feel least insecure, but I still do. Even where I work now, I'm one of the older people there. Um, and everybody has a degree, pretty poor. It seems like everyone I talk to has a degree, or they're fresh out of school. And so it's starting to creep up again, definitely lately. But. I don't know. I think that's why I had such a strong reaction to discovering your work because yeah. I know that it's valuable, and I know so many people that I've taken. There's also plenty of people that study this, have a degree in this, and do and don't do even do that work. So yes, I feel insecure about lots of things all the time, but that's definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, if it makes you feel any better, some of the least inclusive people I've met have been the most so-called educated mm-hmm. and i think
0: because you can't get into those spaces they're used to the exclusivity
1: yes and you know a lot of times i've seen what happens is a lot of people define them mm-hmm. by hey i went to this school and look i went i have a master's degree unfortunately mm-hmm. and i went to like columbia no. and a lot of those kids they were very very wealthy like i remember my girlfriend also went there she was in a class and the kid was like oh he was like seventy thousand. He's like, isn't that poor people? And that's like the average household income right. in like New York uh, City. Yeah. And then, like, I remember that there were kids whose parents were paying five to seven thousand dollars a month rent,
0: mm-hmm. and this is
1: rent for them to live in the city. So that means they have extra money, right? yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, extra money to burn. And so then you realize, like, these people, you know, they've had tutors their whole life. They've lived life on easy mode. Mm-hmm. Right? That they never had to worry. They never had to worry about not eating. They never had to worry about getting a part-time job. They want something, they can get it. So it's something that I find that a lot of people who tend to come from a low background, and I was actually doing something, I was doing some research, 60% of people who go finish degrees have come from middle-class backgrounds. hmm Right. Because the thing is, if you have to worry about getting a job, you have to worry about this or your parents don't know it. You don't tend to have that support. You don't have the resources. Like even when I went to college, like I was tutoring on the side and I was like, yeah, I got a client at $30 an hour. And I was like, so happy. I was like, now I can afford gas. Right, I can afford toll money. Whereas like other people, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what their parents just give them you know, just for insisting. That's
0: what they're tipping at the diner. That's like- Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's something interesting. So I I think it's really important that people like you who have your background, who have your empathy, who have your knowledge are, are in the space. Now, what are your future goals?
0: I'm looking to really like make some waves in the culture, employee experience and DEI space. I think like for me, like, I think this was definitely a really cool, I think storytelling exercise for me. I think that's one, some, something that I really want to practice this year. Um, and I would love to just be able to, I have this, like, I would love for some type of like collective or coalition to form around folks that have this interest in like social impact and corporate social responsibility, creating equitable past, uh, practices and some type of like, you know, accountability reporting and metric system for that. So like, that would be really cool, but yeah, I don't know, keeping an open mind for the most part, but likely to um continue exploring just like i don't really love like the what is it head of diversity type yeah, role yeah. they have I'm the chief of like,
1: diversity officer
0: i'm on the fence about with that with no
1: budget they get no budget whatsoever right.
0: and but they but you but like they'll put you at the front of the photo with like yeah. so they'll be like look we have her you know yeah, so yeah. i know this is legitimate i know it deserves that but we'll see how the landscape is and um I can do this work with another title. So it doesn't really, doesn't really. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not about the title. It's about the impact you have. I want to thank you for your time. This was such a good conversation. How would people support you? And is there anything else you want to share?
0: I mean, no, not for the most part. This was super fun. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and for being present and for representing New York. Um, but no, I'm, I do have a website, it's alexisbass.com. I mean, if anyone's interested in like, like I said, in regards to focus groups or things like that at their company, consulting around the DEI space, culture building, and that kind of like, um, DEI audit type. Uh, situation yeah. there's also some like resume um, building that I can assist with and like career coaching but yeah I'm all over the place but for the most part no it's just been fun to connect with you and looking okay. forward cool. to see what you do
1: thank you so much for your time Alexis this was such a great episode I learned a lot I'll be supporting your work and cheering you on
0: thank you take care
1: another great episode thank you for listening hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by You! No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com/slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn. At Janaid Iqbal, spelled J O N A E D, last name I Q B A L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, no degree.com.